Hey, this is Evan Jackson, video production director of New Life Church. Thank you for joining us today. I pray that today's message will not only challenge, but encourage and inspire you to see God's purpose for you. Enjoy the message. Today we're going to be talking about marriage. Uh, not ma- yeah, marriage. And the title of today's message is The Sacred Knot. And, uh, and it goes back to the genesis that we started with when we, when we started this series. Go ahead and put the series title up. Um, is it stuck? There we go. Uh, the, the, the byline is keeping the first thing first. Keeping the first thing first. The first institution that God made in the earth was the family. And we want to keep that first. Healthy families build healthy communities, which will build healthy societies. And that's what God intended. So today we're going to talk about the the element in that of the marriage. In Genesis 2, 18 through 20, uh, 18, 20, 22, and 24, I'm abbreviating here a little bit. It says this, the Lord God made it, uh, said, it is not good for man to be alone. And every man said, amen to that. I will make a helper corresponding to him. And I love that word. We're going to play on that word a little bit today. But for the man, no helper was found corresponding to him. Then, God, then the Lord God made a woman and brought her to the man. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife, and they become one flesh. So today we're going to tackle the institution of marriage, the institution that predates the family, right? There's no, it's not a question of the chicken or the egg. This is the chicken, Okay. The family comes, the, the marriage, the, the, the relationship between husband and wife comes first. So the big idea for this message is this. God created man and woman to be one flesh with corresponding attributes that complement one another so they can thrive in fulfilling their purpose in this life. What is that? To have a relationship with God, to raise healthy families, and to subdue the earth. Did you know you were supposed to do some subduing? We're going to do some doing. Some subduing. Actually going to talk about subduing on Father's Day. I can't wait for that, that, uh, that particular series. We're going to talk about subduing. What does it mean to subdue the earth? So I figured this is only one half of a whole. We can't do marriage talk without the other half. So today, I've asked my beautiful wife to come and co-teach with me. So would you give a warm welcome to Lisa? Now, as a disclaimer, this is way outside of her comfort zone. She almost passed out when I asked her to do this, and she's been preparing like a champ. So um, I think... Lisa does this so infrequently, this is her first time, actually, so, um, that I don't think many of you have actually gotten the opportunity to hear from Lisa, to hear her testimony. So I'd like to start off this talk today with, Lisa, get, give your testimony. I want to be in front of you. There we go. Let's put the, let's put the beauty okay. in front. So can you give your test, just, just a brief sure. testimony? Sure. So... First of all, thank you all for letting me be up here today. This is not in my wheelhouse, but I'm doing it by the <laughs> grace of God and by the power of the Spirit. 
Um, so anyway, yes, I was raised in a Christian home. I was really blessed. My parents accepted Christ before I was born. Um, they committed to Christ. They committed to church attendance. They committed to a lifestyle that was pleasing to God. So I was raised in that environment, which I know is a humongous blessing because not everyone has that. Um, I accepted Christ when I was six years old. I was at a missions conference at my church, and when I got home, I said, Mom and Dad, I really want to ask Jesus into my heart. So whatever that missionary said, it really, it actually, he missionized me, even though he was really an overseas missionary who was just reporting on what he had been doing. So it was kind of cool to be um, saved by a missionary, really. Um, but I had been, the foundation had been laid when I was a child at, in, you know, in church. So I've been walking with God for 30-something years. Yeah, don't I don't say even something. know yeah, yeah. something. 30-something years. Um, 25 years. Yeah, Yeah. 25 years. Yeah, that sounds good. Um, Yeah, I was raised Christian home and um, the oldest of seven kids, so that's why I'm so bossy. For all of you who are on my team, I'm sorry. It's not her fault. (laughs) It's not my fault. I was the firstborn. It just comes with the birth order. (laughs) Everyone on my guest services team's like, yeah, we know. (laughs) Your checklist drive us crazy. Um, Anyway... Um, then I went to public school for six years, and my parents weren't super happy about everything that was going on in the public school at the time. So they moved me to a Christian school where I met this guy right here in seventh grade. So I met my spouse in seventh grade. Yeah, they sat us right next to each other in seventh grade. Yeah. Like, yeah, so I was sitting right next to her. Yeah, and we were. She would try to do her work. And he would sing. And I would sing, yeah. All day. All day. And drive me crazy. <laughs> I guess they knew he was not the best student. They're like, oh, let's put her next yeah. to him. Maybe it'll rub, it'll rub off. And it didn't really work. And, and then my go. father got that whole thing. He's like, you need to marry this girl. So. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, we knew each other in high school. But it was funny. I remember in 10th grade praying, like, dear God, I'm praying for my spouse. Because we're supposed to, like, pray for our spouses when we're in high school. And, like, pray for your spouse. You don't know them yet. But you need to pray for them. Like, and dear God, please let it not be anyone that I know. Because I don't like anyone that I know. And then... <laughs> It was somebody that I knew. <laughs> Took a lot of work to get there. No. <laughs> it's okay. And then uh, we, got, we went to separate colleges. I wanted to study accounting, and he wanted to be a pastor, so it kind of was like, okay, two different directions. And then the rest is history. We got ma- you know, married. Right out of had, college. Yeah, right out of college. Like we the graduated, minute. and like two she months later, we college. were married. <laughs> and then we started our careers, and later kids came along, and here we are. Yep. Good job. So, yeah. So our testimonies actually intersect with each other very early. Uh, and I, I, I see that as an amazing blessing. Um, and some of the things that uh, Lisa and I have come to know about each other over the years are kind of some of the things we want to talk about today. Um, so the first section, this is a three-point sermon. Every, you know, great sermon is, I'm not saying this is a great sermon, trust me. But... We try, and we go with three points. So the first point, if you're taking notes, is tie the knot. Tie the knot. So our relationship started with a friendship, more on my side than hers. <laughs> I thought she was beautiful in seventh grade. So. Um, we got to know one another. We realized that we liked certain things that we both liked, and then there were certain things that we, I liked that she didn't like. There were certain strengths that... I had that she didn't have, and there was strengths that she had that I didn't have. We, we learned this in this friendship, okay? Um, we got to test the level of commitment that we had for our families, each other, and God in that relationship. C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Four Loves, makes a statement that relationships start with friendship, a friend, and friends are drawn to one another by the way he calls, same truth, the same truth. And he says it this way, 
friendship is born at the moment when one person says to another, what? You too? I thought I was the only one who dot, dot, dot. And he's, that dot, 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 C.S. Lewis calls the same truth. What? I thought I was the only one who liked or, or got that. Or You get me, that whole connection part, right? For some, it's a common interest, a hobby, a way of seeing the world. And those are, those, are all good, those are all good things. I'm not trying to take anything away from that. But when Jesus becomes our same truth, we are coming together under truth himself. What did Jesus say? I am the way, the truth. When Jesus becomes our same truth, there's a power in that. Men and women, I'm going to shock you with this one, ready? Men and women are two very different creatures. <laughs> Yet, their same truth is that they were both made in the image of God. Marriage thrives when God is central in the life of both husband and wife. This is why I stand on the scripture, and I, I know a lot of young people push back on this one because they're frustrated, and I get it. But 2 Corinthians 6.14 says, Do not be yoked together with those who do not believe. For what partnership is it between righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship does light have with darkness? This threefold relationship between man, woman, and God has always been the bedrock of marriage. Ecclesiastes 4.12 says, And through a man might prevail against one when he's alone, Two will withstand him. A three-folded cord is not equally broken. I read a book um, by Kristen Evans Hurst, and I wanted to share a little bit from that book with you. It's called Kingdom Woman. I thought she made some really amazing points that relate to marriage. So some of my comments will be coming from that book. When God created man and woman, he established an alignment between himself and them as well as between the man and the woman. And here's the, here's the trick. Satan knows that wherever he can divide, he can dominate. I'll say that again. Wherever Satan can divide, he will dominate. God operates in a context of unity, and Satan seeks to remove God from the equation by dividing those under his rule. Today, Satan continues to deceive and create disorder and limit power and blessings in our marriages, which is such a shame. But God's love and faithfulness will show up so clearly when we honor him with our decisions and align ourselves with him. So how do we apply that in our lives? That sounds great, but how do we apply that in the everyday? Like, how do we make sure that Satan is not, you know, driving a wedge between spouses and creating chaos in our marriage? There's just a few points I want to make on that. The first thing I think that's most important is to pray for each other daily. If you, as you invest your time and your heart and your life in prayer for your spouse, you're going to find it a lot harder to neglect your spouse or argue with them if you're spending all your time praying for them. Yeah. It's just almost impossible to spar and fight with someone that you're also praying for. So I would say um, number one is spend time praying almost for your spouse. Almost impossible. Almost impossible. Almost impossible. It's, le it's, it's, it's less hard. I don't know. <laughs> 
<laughs> almost impossible. Um, the next thing is choose honor and demonstrate respect even when the choice is difficult. Like, does anyone want to say ouch with me on yep. that one? Isn't ouch. it hard to choose honor and demonstrate respect when you don't feel like you're getting it back? But that's obeying God where he talks about honoring and respecting in spite of what we may feel we're getting back from the other party. And that's a two-way street. That's not just, you know, guys, we got to do that. We have to be men who are going to make the, make, make the stand and say, I may not be feeling it right now, but I'm going to honor and love my wife through this. And then, and then it's reciprocal on the other side. We'll get to a little bit of that a little later. Absolutely. I also love what Elizabeth George says, another one of my favorite authors. She always says, ask of your actions, will this help or hinder our marriage relationship. So when you have a decision to make or you think about how you're acting in a situation, say, am I really helping my marriage relationship by doing this or am I hindering it? And that's a good test to put anything that you're doing kind of through. It might help you make some decisions a little bit differently than you might have otherwise. And the last thing I would say is choose good over easy. Yeah. And okay, what does that mean? The world waves a big banner that says we deserve easy, do what feels easy. Why stress yourself? There's an easier way. But you know, it's good to go the speed limit. It's yeah. easy to speed a little. You know, it's good to make a healthy choice. It's easy just to grab some junk. It's good to read my Bible. It's really easy to check my phone for texts or emails first. It's good to invest in my marriage relationship, and it's easy just to coast. Can anybody identify with coasting yeah. a little bit? You know, it's easy to coast. It's harder to invest, but that's the good thing. Micah 6, 8, it's a verse I really, I really uh, cling to. It says, he has shown you, oh man, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. I don't know about you, but I so desire this good way that the Bible describes. I want to extend mercy and grace to my spouse. I want to love him actively and faithfully, and I want to live the way that God wants me to live, choosing good over easy. And that's it. Drop the mic. I mean, that's, well, you guys are going to hire her and fire me. Uh, I mean, just think about that, the good over the easy. How often do we do that? See, interests change. Hobbies come and go. Our way of seeing the world shifts with age. But Christ stays the same. We talked about that, we sang about that this morning. Christ stays the same. Let Christ be your same truth and the thread at the center of your threefold cord. Make sure everything, your relationship, everything about your relationship wraps around the central of Christ, never to be unwound, unraveled, or broken. Now, the next section I want to talk about is this, and you're taking notes, ready? Be complimentary. Now, you might think that means like, say, I like your dress when she gets, you know, no. you could do that too, that's a good thing, lie if you have to, no, pastor just told me, no, always be complimentary. But that's not what I'm talking about. Genesis 20, 20, uh, through 2, 20 through 22 says, But a man, no helper could be found, corresponding, corresponding, complimenting to him. Then the Lord God made a woman. Genesis 1, 27, God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them, male and female. So there's this corresponding, this complimentary nature 
to this one flesh relationship. Romans 12, 3 through 8 says, For by grace, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Wives, husbands, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. But be sober, uh, be, uh, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same functions. So we, though many, or two, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ. Let me say that again. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, according to what God has given us. Let us use them. We need to stop saying things like this. Well, the woman ought to, dot, dot, dot. Now, there's some things that are going to be right down the line. Women, just by being women, are going to thrive at certain things, like giving birth. That's a woman thing, guys. I know the, our media is selling us otherwise, but that's... Let's just keep the first thing the first. Or men should be in charge of dot, dot, dot. God, God, God has given each person unique and special skills that they bring to the marriage, even if they don't naturally check the box that society believes they should. In many ways, Lisa and I do not fit molds of traditional. We don't, we don't fit traditional roles. We talked about this in my staff meetings. In many ways, I'm the chick in the relationship. I just am. I'm, 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 the, I'm the girl in the relationship. And what do I mean by that? We're generalizing, obviously. But I'm more emotional. She's more analytical. She's the CPA, and I'm the worship leader that became a pastor. I'm the creative one. She's the task-oriented clipboard woman. She's all about the finances. She uses Excel like a grand piano. Excel is the best tool ever. PowerPoint is the best tool ever. I'm more of the aesthetics, hence the PowerPoint. It's just the way we are. We're, we're very, and in other ways, we, we do kind of. So we, if, I, if we were to say, like, no, I have, no, the man does the finances, we would be in big trouble. I'm just going to tell you. Right now, we would be in big trouble, okay? No. We have corresponding, correlative, and complementary skills that we use so that we can be, you know, when, when God said we would be one flesh, he wasn't, like, talking about sex as much as he was talking about just when the two come together, they actually make one really decent human being, if done right. I'm... Left brain, right brain. I mean, we are, we're one. And we make a pretty good team. But if we were not to use our skills properly, there would be some dysfunction. Yep. 
18 years ago, I joined the organization where I work now, and I was like 20-something years old, and they gave me a staff of people to manage on day one. So I got this like young 20-year-old with a whole staff of people like, you need management training. I'm like, yes, <laughs> I need management training, because some of these staff that I'm supervising are like twice my age. So they sent me to a ton of management training. I went many, many hours of management training. One of the things I learned during the training is that the best managers share one talent, the ability to find and capitalize upon their employees' strengths, their unique traits. So great managers know that they don't have 10 salespeople working for them. They have 10 unique and different individuals working for them. And a great manager is brilliant at spotting the unique differences that separate each person and then capitalize on those differences. I know this is a principle from the business world, but just hang with me because that's the space I live in. Okay. <laughs> this simple concept of putting people's strengths to use is still somewhat foreign. The business world and the world at large is obsessed with weaknesses and how to find a way to fix them. That's all they talk about is, what are your weaknesses? Let's work on fixing them. That's, it's kind of an obsession, really. Business consultant and speaker Marcus Buckingham has interviewed some of the world's most successful leaders for his books. And he cites a poll that was done where they asked workers if they, could have feel, if they felt that they could achieve more success through either improving on their weaknesses or working on their strengths. 60% of those workers said improving on their weaknesses would make them more successful, while only 40% believe they'd be more successful by building on their strengths. Here's what Buckingham says about that. A great manager sees the folly in this. A great manager knows he or she will get the most return on investment by working on strengths. Too many workers spend too much of their time doing things they don't like to do or simply are not good at doing. And this is such a great correlation with marriage I, you know, that I drew here. I know I'm most effective in our marriage relationship when I'm operating in my strengths and I'm allowing my spouse to do the same. I don't need to be good at the things that he's good at and vice versa. There's, if I tried to do the things that he's good at, I would fail miserably and I would feel very badly about myself and beat myself up over it. Instead, I just let him be great at things he's great at and I focus on what I'm good at. And instead, if I value and appreciate his contributions to our marital venture and he does the same for me, things work much smoother and we function together in that one body that we kind of talked about. Yeah. And I think some of the, on the, on the flip side of that, some of the struggles that we've had over the years have been when that's gotten out of balance. You know, when we've tried to do something that was outside of, not, not that we shouldn't improve on our weaknesses. I think that's a great thing. But I think while you're improving on your weaknesses, you're getting better as a spouse, you're getting better, you've got to really maximize and let each other maximize the God-given strengths that they've, you've been given. So 1 Peter 4, 8 through 10 says this, maintain constant love for one another. Okay, why? Love covers a multitude of sins. That's just, you know, no matter what, whether you're working in your strengths, working, trying to fix your weaknesses, that love is going to cover a ton of the rough patches, right? It says this, be hospitable to one another without complaining. Just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the varied grace that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to operate in our strengths and then work on our weaknesses. Because we all have weaknesses. But I think our society is obsessed with how we don't measure up. Can anybody ever, ever, other than me, ever felt that way? We don't measure up. I mean, social media is a window to how we don't measure up. 
Stop looking at your weaknesses and start getting excited about what God has put in you. Lastly, the third point is this. Outdo one another in love. Outdo one another in love. Tom Holland, in his book Dominion, Dominion, not that one, okay? It's not that Tom Holland. Okay, it's, it's this Tom Holland. That's his, they're, they're both a little goofy looking, but it's, you know, it's that one. In his book Dominion, right here, um, you hold it. Vivana. Okay. Oh, it's up there too, so, yeah. His book, Dominion, talks about how the pre-Christian Roman world had no concept or context for intrinsic rights. Something that you were valuable because of you. Power was only standard for value when it came to individuals. If you didn't have power, then you didn't have value outside of what the powerful gave you. Women... Children, bond servants, and slaves could be used and abused at the patriarch's whim. And no one would have thought to correct him. It literally wasn't wrong in that culture. It just was what it was. But Christianity comes onto the scene and begins a radically, to radically emphasize the concept of intrinsic value. Christianity was so revolutionary to the world that it came into. We cannot, in our culture today, understand that even as in a secular, as we become more secular, we're still steeped in Christian worldview. Let me explain that to you. The value for the poor, uh, social programs, these types of things would never have come into the mind of a Roman. They would have just been like, the weak are weeded out, and the powerful rise. It's our culture today is one in which we, we see value in the weak and the poor, and we try to help them, even in society, okay? So um, Christians, where was I, Lisa? Okay, no longer is power the measure of worth or value, but value and worth in, exists intrinsically because God gave it. Women, though physically and socially weaker than men at that time, had a right to be treated with the same level of respect and honor as a man. Revolutionary to that culture. I just want to tell you this. Sometimes today we look at, we, we talk about the patriarchy as being a Christian concept. No. This was revolutionary to the Roman world. Um, and even more so, their weaknesses caused them to be even more cared for. They should be more cared for. Their vulnerability was something that we should take care of. In, uh, in Christ, men are called to love their wives for the value that they have. Listen to this. The value that they have, not the value they give to the powerful. Children are honored. Slaves are elevated to the level of equal and deserving of care. This would have been completely alien to the Roman culture and the people of Ephesus, to which this book was, uh, Ephesians was written. Christianity completely revolutionized the family structure. Ephesians chapter 5. I want to look at a little section of that. Um, in verse 15 it says, Pay careful attention then to how you walk. 
not as unwise people, but as wise. Saying, I want you to be careful how you walk. Not just like the culture does. Not as unwise people just following the stream. But we're going to go against the flow here a little bit. I want you to be wise. Making the most of the time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the will of God is. And then it talks about this thing. Uh, it starts breaking down the, the husband and wife relationship. And it says this in verse 22. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Now that word submit in the, in the uh, Greek is hupoaso, I think. Hupoaso? Would you say it that way? Yeah. You know what it, and then what it really means in the Greek, the word is submit, hupotasso. You know what it means? Submit. <laughs> it's what it means. Sorry, ladies. Tried to get around it. I looked up the word, and it was like, nope, that's what it means. Now listen to this. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, because the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. What does that mean for that culture? You have to remember, in that culture, men held all the power. So in this situation, just like God, the church is powerless without God. God is the source of the church's power. So we submit to him and we love him and we say, thank you for providing for us the power that you have given us. It's, it's, a, it's a sign of respect. He, has, uh, he is the savior of the body. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives submit to their husbands and everything. And now I want you to, now, today in, that, in that, our context today, that sounds like, whoa, whoa, the patriarch. Pastors to kind of subdue the women. No, I'm not. The Christian church, this was, this was above status quo at the moment when this was written. This would not have been a shocker to anybody. The lady's been like, that's better than I had before. What really shocks the culture is the next part. Here we go. 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in uh, splendor, without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. Men, this is saying, your wife is not an object. She's not to be used or abused. Just like Christ brings the church with him and presents it to himself without spot or blemish. That's how you're supposed to take care of your wife. She's more than just what she provides. In the same way, husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. This would have freaked Romans out. What? He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hates his own flesh but provides and cares for it, just as Christ does for the church since we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave us, back to Genesis, right? For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This mystery is profound, but I'm also talking about Christ and the church. Verse 33, and this is how we kind of jump into this next section. To sum it up, and I love how he says that, to sum it up. I didn't put that in, it's in scripture. To sum it all up, each one of you is to love his wife as himself, that would have been counter-cultural in the day. And the wife is to respect her husband. And that's what the scriptures say 
about that. So Shanti Feldstein in her book, For Women Only, which I really enjoy that book, and Dr. Emerson Egrich in Love and Respect, describe some ways that a wife can respect and support her husband. And here are some of the key points that I've written down over the years in notebooks that I found in my room when I was looking at preparing for this. And these are things that, that meant something to me, and I figured I'd share them with you as well. So ways I can respect my husband. Respect his judgment. Don't question his knowledge or argue with his decisions all the time. Ouch, firstborn likes to be the boss. So. <laughs> That's hard for me. Praise his good decisions and minimize, minimize criticism of his poor decisions. As much what? as I love to say, I told what? you so, try to avoid, I told you so. <laughs> I never made so a bad, you can see why I've I never made a bad decision in my life. <laughs> we'll talk. Okay. Respect his abilities. Cheer his successes in work or in sports. Respect in communication. Filter my words through a disrespect meter before they pass my lips. Have you ever said something and right away you thought, oh, that sounded so bad. Like, I didn't mean it to sound bad, but if you could just, like, take it back and reposition it and send it back out a different way. But those words Sometimes have Sometimes it just escaped. needs, like, an emoji next to it, to, you know, for description. So filter your words through a disrespect meter as much as possible before they pass through your lips. Um, respond positively to his thoughts and ideas. Affirmation is everything. Take every opportunity in public and in private to demonstrate with words and actions how proud you are of your husband and how much you trust him. To a guy, the words, I'm proud of you, are incredibly powerful words. And so remember that if you haven't told your husband that you're proud of him recently, you probably should, because that really makes a huge difference to him. It, it bolters his confidence and it helps him go out into the world and to do better at the things that God's called him to do if he knows he has his wife behind him at home. And find something, right? Find something. Yeah. You know, right. if, if, it, if, if he's a total screw-up, find something. Like, you, you got matching socks on today. I'm proud of you. <laughs> I am proud of you. I mean, find something. <laughs> got to be something. So to sum up, wives, just remember that <laughs> admiration and appreciation are the golden keys to unlocking his heart. Amen. Men, we have the responsibility and the privilege to love our wives in the very, the very point of our own death. Well, I'll say that again. We have the privilege and the responsibility to love our wives to the very point of our own deaths. Think about that. In that way, we get to be like Jesus. Jesus laid down his life for his church, the bride of Christ. We get to be that. Many of us will not have to make that choice. I should say, you've already made that choice. I guarantee pastors or justice of the peace stood in front of you and says, until death do us part, Love and cherish, sickness and all these things. When you make those vows, you make that choice. But it's a responsibility, but it's also a privilege. We get to mimic the person of Christ in that decision. We get to be that guy. You know the guy we always want to be? That hero guy? When we, we want to, like, save the lady in the tower? The guy's like, I don't know what you grew up with, but, you know. To be the hero, guys, we want to be the hero. We get to be that. And we get to be that every day. It's not just at those big moments. We have to be that guy, okay? How do we do that? Tell her three little words. 
I love you. I don't know why guys have such a hard time with that. I was blessed to grow up in a house where my father, I've watched him repeatedly, every opportunity he got, to tell my mom, I love you. They never fought. Ha! Joke! But they, she said, I, I heard that, and, I, and, I, and, I, and he told me, a guy telling another dude, a littler dude, I love you. Say the words, I love you. Tell her that as often as you can. Don't just say the words. Prove them by showing her you love her. Love her the way she needs to be loved, not how you think you might want to be loved. Hey, honey, I got you a shotgun. <laughs> Gee, thanks. You know, maybe some women, hey, there may be some women here like, I would love a shotgun. <laughs> Varied grace of God. <laughs> but love her the way, you know, the way. <laughs> we got one over here giving a, Leon, you're in trouble now. She wants a shotgun for Christmas. Uh, <laughs> Show her how, there's a great book, uh, Love Language. Was it six love languages, five love languages? Five love languages. If you haven't read, everybody's like, whoa, I've already read that book. Understand each other enough to know how that person receives and needs to be loved. It takes time. Um, it takes effort. You may actually have to talk to her. Like, really talk to her, like, look her in the face, Guys. And pay attention as she talks back. What a weird thought, right, guys? You're like, well, I don't think I've ever done that my entire marriage. Listen to her. Here's a, here's a big thing for you guys. Ready? Read a book. There's so many books out there that talk about relationships. I don't know what it is, but guys have a hard time at reading relationship books. They like, I got this thing nailed. My dad did it this way, and I'm going to do it this way because that's the way it's done. Well, your dad stunk at it. No, I'm saying, read a book. Try to find out what relationships, how relationships function better. Just, I'm not saying you're doing everything wrong. There's no room for better. Read a book. Here's another one. Remember stuff. Like birthdays, anniversaries, important things, or even picking your underwear up off the bathroom floor. I'm terrible at that one. I'm just saying right now. <laughs> she's like, basically, she's like, I'm just giving up on that one. I, am, I will live with that one for us because he cannot remember to do that. So, remember stuff. Pick your battles. <laughs> That was a battle for a while, but I wore her down. Uh, remember stuff. Be, be engaged in your relationship. Don't phone it in. Relationships take remembrance, okay? Most often, it's the simple things, though. Picking up your clothes. Doing a load of laundry without being asked to do it. Guys, let me give you a little hint, though. 
if you do a load of laundry without being asked to do a load of laundry, make sure she's around when you push the button. You know, if a tree falls in the woods and no one's there to hear it, did it actually do anything? Yes, same, same principle here. Make sure she knows that you did it. Most important thing is this. If you have a family, if you have children, love her kids. Love them. One of the best ways you can show your wife love is to love her kids and be present in the partnership of parenting. Don't make her parent alone, guys. Don't make her do that. It's not fair, okay? The way she, she's going to feel loved when you partner with her in parenting the kids. Okay, we got to close, but um, let's recap real quick. Number one, tie the knot. This relationship is a three-bonded cord. Keep Christ central to your marriage, okay? Tie the knot. Number two, be complimentary. Don't allow your focus on your spouse's weaknesses. Rather, look to maximize the strengths that you bring to the relationship. And number three, outdo one another in love. Don't wait for your spouse to be loving. If you are going to compete with her about anything, do it by trying to be the one who loves the most. I love you more. No, I love you more. No. So outdo one another. Don't wait for the, other, uh, the, the spouse to show love. Love first, love big, and compete in those ways. I'm going to share a verse that I prayed over our marriage this past week. It just came up in my devotion. I thought, you know, this would be a great one to add today because it kind of sums up everything we've talked about. It's 2 Thessalonians 3, 3 through 5. But the Lord is faithful. He will strengthen you and guard you from the evil one. We talked about how Satan loves to divide marriages. So right off the bat, praying for strength and that our relationship would be guarded from Satan's attacks. That's number one. We have confidence in the Lord about you that you are doing and will continue to do what we command. So follow God's commands. What does God want me to do in relation to my spouse? So I prayed, I prayed that over our marriage that I would be able to do the things that God asked me to do, even the hard things that don't come naturally. And then may the Lord direct your hearts to God's love and Christ's endurance. I want to treat him with love and I want to endure in this um, job that God's given me to be your wife and to be a mom to my kids. So sometimes pay, praying scripture is very powerful, and you can just take a scripture like this and just break it into phrases and pray that over yourself and your spouse and your kids. And I would encourage you guys to think about that um, as you're looking for how do I strengthen my marriage, how do I pray for my spouse. Sometimes praying scripture is the best thing you can do. So write down 2 Thessalonians 3, 3 through 5, and pray that over your marriage this week. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, I thank you so much for this opportunity. It's a special opportunity for me to share this platform with my wife. Lord, I thank you for her. Thank you for the varied skills and talents you've given her and that you've, through this union, have also given to this church. God, I thank you for the institution of marriage. The first thing you created, the first institution you created. And God, I pray, Lord, that we would keep the first thing First, that we would love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our spouse and our family, our neighbors as ourselves, God. I pray that we would be, uh, would keep you central to this marriage relationship, a three-bonded cord. God, I pray that we would affirm and elevate the gifts and the talents that you've given to each member of that marriage. And Lord, I pray that we would be people that are marked by love that we would love passionately 
that we would love well, and that we would be people who draw love out of other people. Lord, we thank you for being the perfect example of how somebody should love somebody else. And Lord, we aspire to be more and more like you in our marriages. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless. Thank you so much for being here.